Hey, Real Life Church, God bless you. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. We've had a fabulous week here at Real Life. We had our Holy Smokes barbecue outside, and I looked at the crowds of new visitors visiting our church for the first time, and I was reminded of the early church, where it says in the book of Acts, they gathered together daily, broke brisket, and had glad and sincere hearts, or something like that. Uh, but it, it was just a great opportunity. Thank you for being inviters who bring so many new people to our church to check us out and to, to recognize uh, God's family. Because what we really want is we want people to step inside our doors and discover that the first thing people discover about the church is not, hey, they've got a lot of good arguments for what they believe. What, what they discover first is, hey, they're a gracious community. They seem like they know what life is about. And so we, we host parties to uh, welcome people in uh, so that they can just join in God's family and God's community and find a, a place on the earth where they're loved. And so thank you for making our, our church a place like that. And then, and then everything we do, we do in the direction of leading people to Jesus. Real life exists to lead lost people to Jesus and be a community of grace with a God-sized vision for every generation. And so ultimately we want people to come to know Jesus and experience Jesus and encounter Jesus. And so this last week, a member of our church uh, talked to a, a friend who was in need and prayed with that friend and that friend decided that they would follow Jesus too. And so we celebrate uh, and light our faith candle and uh, honor the fact that uh, heaven got a little bit bigger this week. And so we're thankful for that. Uh, and I'm thankful that you are a church that values uh, leading people to Jesus. So uh, God bless you all. We're, uh, we're going to dive back into our series of teachings this morning on the gospel of Luke. We're looking at the story of Jesus. We're asking who was Jesus through the eyes of someone who was surprised by Jesus. And that's what Luke wants us to see most of all. If you, if you read Luke, and we're, we're reading along through the text very slowly and methodically, because that gives us a real insight into how Luke felt about Jesus. What did it feel like to be a first century follower of Jesus and to see who he was and what he did and what his followers did? And what we've seen in Luke is Luke was surprised by Jesus. And the heart of his message is he wants us to know that we're going to be surprised by Jesus. So Jesus goes to the people of Nazareth where he grows up and begins preaching. And they're surprised by who he is as an adult. He calls Simon Peter and the other fishermen. And they're surprised when they realize somebody who can work miracles is walking the earth. And then uh, he goes and he confronts the religious teachers of the day, the Pharisees. And they're surprised. Uh, that this, this wonder worker is such a challenge to what they thought God would be like. So we've seen encounter after encounter of people who are surprised by Jesus. Now Luke is going to shift and he's going to show us some of the teachings of Jesus. And we move from seeing the, the surprise encounters so the, to the surprise teachings of the God who walked the earth. And so that's where we're going to go today. Hey, join with me in prayer before we get into our study. Jesus, I thank you that you are a surprise to us, that you are not what we might have expected, that you're not in the box that we might have tried to put you in. Uh, you are bigger and better. You are more gracious and more loving. You call us to, to bigger things than we would have uh, permitted ourselves to. So Jesus, I ask by the power of your spirit, surprise us again today. Help us to encounter you in new ways, to see deeper into your, your character and into your heart. As you do so, call all of us to take that next step in faith where we grow closer to you and become more committed to you. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. 
We are going to go to Luke chapter 6, which is right where we left off, and we're going to start at verse 17, and we're going to read a block of the teachings of Jesus now, and Luke is going to say, hey, you think all those things he did was surprising, look at what he taught. Uh, The surprising teachings of Jesus in Luke 6, verse 17. He went down with them and stood on a level place. This is sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain because he's standing on flat ground. And that is uh, in contrast with a passage in the book of Matthew where Jesus stands on a mountain and preaches some of the same teachings. And that one is called the Sermon on the Mount. This one is called the Sermon on the Plain because it begins that he stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. So he's now drawing crowds from a a larger area. His name is becoming known. Uh, And it's harder to remain uh, secret in what he's doing. He's going to attract the attention of the government in ways that he might not uh, mean to or want to. Uh, Those, let's see, he uh, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits, by demons were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So now look, Jesus was known in his lifetime for healing the sick, for casting out demons, and for teaching about the kingdom of heaven like he had been there. A kingdom where God loved broken people. That's what Jesus was all about. And this is important to notice. The church should not be about anything that Jesus was not about. The church should be doing the kinds of things that Jesus did. Jesus was about healing the sick to restore them to life. About casting out demons to restore people to freedom. And about teaching the kingdom of heaven to restore people to God's family. That's what Jesus did. That's what the church should do. The churches out there that just preach a feel-good message with six practical steps to living uh, uh, a happy life now uh, and and, uh, avoid the the plain teachings of the text are not doing what Jesus did. Uh, Imagine Jesus rising from the tomb on Easter morning and the disciples saying, he's risen from the dead. We should open a, a Christian theme park and we'll have the carrier cross coaster and Mr. Spirit's wild ride, and soaring over Jerusalem, and then people will like Jesus. You don't don't have to add on to the gospel to make Jesus attractive. Jesus is who he is. And he went about life healing those who are sick, casting out demons, and teaching about the kingdom of God like he had been there, a kingdom where broken people are loved. Likewise, churches that uh, act like they are the vice principal's office of the kingdom, where somebody's always in trouble, are not doing what Jesus did. Uh, There are churches out there that just make people feel guilty. And that is not the church that Jesus came to create. Imagine Jesus rising from the tomb on Easter morning and walking out of the tomb and, and unrolling a scroll and saying, all right, I'm back. I, I, I've, I've been taking a list And now I'm checking it twice. And I know which of you has been naughty and which of you has been nice. 
Because Savior Christ is coming to town. Right? I mean, that's not, that, that really, that wasn't the heart of what Jesus was here to do. I don't come to the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Right? Jesus came to, to heal the sick, to cast out dark things, and to love people into a kingdom where they are healed and restored. That's what Jesus did. That's what the church should be all about. So now he's going to continue. Uh, 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 verse 20. Uh, looking at his disciples, he said, and now he's going to have a series of blessings and woes, a series of, of good reports uh, for people who have had hard situations and warnings for people who have lived comfortably. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you, and the word for blessed in Greek here is makarios, which just means happy. Blessed is a fancy religious word. Blessed is a stained glass word. The, the correct translation of this is happy, and it means exactly the same thing you say, uh, you mean when you say happy birthday. It just means happy in plain and simple terms. So translate it this way. Looking at his disciples, he said, happy are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Happy are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. And, and the Greek word uh, here for satisfied is kortazo, which literally was the word that was used for fattening up livestock. He's saying, happy are you who are hungry now, for you will be stuffed like the Thanksgiving turkey. Happy are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Happy are you when people hate you, when they ex exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is a title that Jesus used for himself. It comes from the Hebrew Scriptures, and it referred to a Messiah that would come and save humanity. So he picks up that title and uses it for himself to tell us who he is. Uh, Blessed are you when they hate you because of the Son of Man, because of me, Jesus is saying. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. The prophets are now these heroes of the faith, but in their day they were rejected because the prophets warned people, if you don't follow God, our kingdom's gonna fall apart. So the people hated them in their day, but now they're respected as great heroes of the faith. Blessed are you when people hate you because of Jesus because that's how they treated the heroes of the faith in ages past. Okay, awfully ironic list. None of these things sound happy. But Jesus says, happy are you when you're poor. Happy are you when you're hungry. Happy are you when you weep. Happy are you when people hate you. When you enter into the kingdom of God, if you have been robbed by this world, you will be restored by Jesus. And you will discover happiness in him that the world could not offer you. But now he lists uh, a series of woes, uh, bad news, a series of, of bad news. And that's how you could translate this. But woe to you, but bad news to you who are rich because you have already received your comfort. Bad news for you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. Bad news for you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. Bad news to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. And the false prophets were people who 
uh, just told God's people what they wanted to hear. Didn't matter if it was true or not. They just preached nice messages because everyone would like them. Happy are you with your poor, hungry, weeping, and hated. Bad news for you who are rich, well-fed, laughing, and praised. Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kind of kingdom. Right? This is the surprise of the teachings of Jesus. Everything you think is true about the world is exactly wrong, is exactly upside down. If you have gone and used the world to provide for yourself, then in the kingdom of God, you're going to be poor. But if the world has robbed you, if the world has beaten you down, in Jesus' name, you will be restored. God is like a parent who looks at humanity and sees his children, and his heart beats for those who suffer the most. His heart beats for those who are lost. He is a good shepherd that goes looking for the one lost sheep and sets aside the 99 who are already taken care of. When you're a parent, if you have two children, you love them both the same, but if one of them is sick, you are by that child's bedside. And God is a good father to us all. If you are broken by this world, if you are left poor, if you are left hungry, if you are left weeping, God is rushing to your side. If the world has worked out well for you, everything's good, maybe you don't need God. Jesus himself said a doctor doesn't go to people who are well. A doctor goes to people who are sick. If you've figured out how to just make your own way in this world and don't care about any of the rest of it, don't care about God, don't care about other people, what else does he have to offer you? Jesus has four different ironic teachings in this passage, four different contrasts, four different uh, promises of happiness that we wouldn't expect, and four different warnings that we wouldn't expect. Let's look at each of the four in turn. He says, happy are you who are poor because God will take care of you. Yours is the kingdom of God. But bad news for you who are rich, you've already received your reward. You got everything you're going to get. Right? Might want to make a turn in the direction of generosity. Because otherwise you've got, you've got everything you, you're going to get. Um, it reminds me of, if, if you go down to downtown LA, uh, downtown LA, uh, the homeless population is, is out of control. There are, there are tent cities on most of the streets in downtown LA. And you can go down to downtown LA and you can get in an elevator in a high rise and go up to a penthouse way up in the sky with beautiful 360 degree views and feel completely removed from poverty down beneath you. You can feel safe and well taken care of if you climb towards the heavens and hide, hide out away from the poverty below. But Jesus is the doctor who came for the sick. Where would Jesus be in this image? Jesus walks among the poor. Because when you're a, a loving parent, you rush to the bedside of the child who's sick. When, when Jesus sees the, the poverty of this world, he walks among the poor. Ironically, as we climb closer to the heavens in those penthouses, we're getting further away from Jesus and the kingdom of God. Happy are you who are poor now because God will be among you. Bad news for you who have avoided the poor and made a comfortable place for yourself because you've received everything you're going to get. You're as far from God as you could be. One of the first places I ever heard God speak in my life was lying on the ground in an orphanage in Mexico 
where I was leading a group of students to go build houses for the poor. And I remember lying down on this, uh, this cold brick floor and the students were all in their sleeping bags all over the place. This is where we were sleeping for the week while we did our work project. And I remember praying to God, how do you want me to best serve these people? And what I wanted was a checklist of things to do so I could feel good about myself. Yes, do this, do this, do this. I did it. I'm, God should be proud of me. But instead of a checklist, I, I heard this voice deep within me reply, just be overwhelmed by me. And I knew that wasn't me because it wasn't what I was looking for. It wasn't what I was expecting. It's not something that I would have come up with. It was at that moment, going to a place where I could be among the poor and serve the poor and care for the students that I was teaching to care for the poor, that God transcended and intervened and said, in this life, you don't have to prove yourself. You just have to let me prove myself. Just be overwhelmed by me. And if you want to hear the voice of God, you want to go and serve among those who are most in need. This January, on the weekend of the 2021-22, January, uh, we're going to go down to Mexico and we're going to help with a, a church building project. There's a, a church network down there. They've been building, they were aiming at 50 churches and they're working on the 50th church. So we're going to go help build the 50th church down in Tijuana. Uh, and if you've been on our Mexico projects before, you know how uh, meaningful they are. And if you haven't been, you're welcome to uh, fill out a card and let us know that you want to come. Uh, you need a passport uh, and you need to let us know now uh, because we're going to go down in just a couple months. Um, if you want to experience God's work in the world, you have to go to where God is moving. And God moves among those who are in most in need. Uh, volunteer at our pantry here at the church. Uh, and watch what God does as we pray with people and bless them. Happy are you who are left poor by this world because yours is the kingdom of God. Bad news for you who've just used this life to get rich and satisfy yourself. You already got everything you're going to get. Secondly, Jesus goes on with another contrast, another uh, pair of contrasts. Uh, happy are you who are hungry now for you will be cortazo. You will be stuffed as uh, fat as the Thanksgiving turkey. But bad news for you who are satisfied, you've already got everything you're going to get. This is why um, the act of fasting is so important. Uh, fasting is a spiritual discipline of giving up something for a short period of time to dedicate ourselves to prayer. Often it's giving up food for a day to spend a day in prayer. Uh, if you have some kind of health issue or dietary issue, you can give up coffee or desserts or social media. You can give up something else to dedicate yourself to prayer. But what fasting does is it makes us hungry to create a space within us for God to fill. Happy are those who hunger now because you have created a space in which God can fill you. And God wants to give you better things than you would give yourself. God wants to satisfy you in better ways than you would satisfy yourself. God wants to cortazo, the text says. God wants to stuff you like the Thanksgiving turkey. 
so that you can enjoy his blessings and know that a good and loving God is watching over you. And that is better than taking care of yourself. Uh, I was at the, uh, the real life preschool over in our Glendora campus. Hello, Glendora people. Uh, and uh, I was watching the kids play out on the playground and everything. And there was this one kid who was just kind of over digging in dirt, just kind of playing in dirt the way kids do. And I saw one of the teachers say, hey, why don't you play with a ball instead of just digging in the dirt? And, uh, you know, she's thinking, I'm going to have to wash that kid's hands. It's going to take a lot of work. And uh, so this kid stops playing in the dirt and goes to pick up a ball. And I noticed the kid is, is like trying to pick up the ball, but for whatever reason can't seem to do it. And I can't figure out why the kid can't pick up the ball. And I look and I realize the kid is trying to pick up the ball, but he still has two handfuls of dirt. He never put the dirt down. And he can't pick up the ball to play with it because his hands are filled with wads of dirt. Well, God would have us realize that a lot of our chasing after satisfaction in this world is settling for less than he wants to give us. We are filling our hands with dirt when he wants to give us real joy. So it's bad news for we who have spent our lives taking care of ourselves and feeding ourselves and satisfying ourselves because God wanted to give us something better. And how happy we are when our hands are empty, when we allow ourselves to be hungry in this world, or when the, the world has robbed us and left us hungry, because we can turn in the direction of the God who loves us and trust that he will give us better than we could give ourselves. Thirdly, third contrast that Jesus points out here, happy are you who weep now, but bad news for you who spend all your time laughing. Uh, and that's a, that's, that's a strange one because I don't want to weep. I, I'd much rather laugh. This sounds like a recipe for depression. I don't, I don't want to be miserable. I spend a lot of time trying to be happy. Why would I be happy if I'm weeping now? Well, there's a little secret uh, that uh, most pastors will not tell you, but we all know. Uh, most pastors would rather preside at a funeral than at a wedding. We, we do a lot of both, and we're happy to do both. But most pastors would rather preside at a funeral than at a wedding. And, and I know that's counterintuitive. You would think, oh, a wedding's beautiful and fun and joyful. Wouldn't you much rather prefer that? Funerals can be sad, and you, you cry, and there's so much emotional weight to that. How could you prefer that? Well, it has to do with expectations. A lot of people come to a wedding expecting perfection. Everything has to be exactly right. And you will never hit perfection at your wedding. There are young couples in our congregation now who are thinking about marriage. You're going to ask me or one of the pastors to do your wedding. Just be prepared. There is no such thing as a perfect wedding. And when you go into a wedding expecting perfection and it falls short of perfection, you get stressed. And and. And weddings can be miserable because somebody's expectations were so high that they're always disappointed. It's never as good as you asked for. Never as good as you wanted. It's like sometimes people go into weddings going, make me happy or else. It's kind of like a four-year-old going to Disneyland. You know, a four-year-old goes into Disneyland in the morning and they're like, this had better be amazing. And for most of the day it is. Until about four o'clock in the afternoon. And about four o'clock in the afternoon, they've had too much sugar and too little rest and there are meltdowns and a weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is no less happy place on earth than Disneyland at four o'clock in the afternoon for a four-year-old. 
I, I love Disneyland. But if you go in with high expectations, there's a good chance that if you're laughing now, you will weep. Whereas at a funeral, people don't go in with high expectations. They go in saying, I, I don't need perfection. I just need grace. I just need whatever you can give me right now because I hurt. And often, funerals can be a, a place of healing. Because you talk about the promises of God and you love one another. Happy are you who weep now because God wants to comfort you when you hurt. Bad news for you who spend your whole life entertaining yourself because God will look at you and go, you've gotten everything you could have gotten. I mean, you're about to hit four o'clock in the afternoon. You spent the whole day entertaining yourself. And finally, fourthly, Jesus says, happy are you who are hated when people, uh, happy are you when you're hated because of my name, when people hate you because of me, and they say all kinds of bad things about you, and they try to destroy your name, happy are you when they do that, because that's how they treated the prophets. But bad news for you when everybody speaks well of you and says what a great person you are, because that's how they talked about the false prophets. Now, if you don't know the, the story of uh, the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures, the true prophets came along and said, if we're not faithful to God, God will let our kingdom fall apart. God will let Babylon come in and take us off into slavery if we don't return and be faithful to God. If we don't repent of our selfishness and go back to God, everything's going to fall apart. And people hated that message. The prophets were persecuted. They were chased out of town. Some of them were murdered. The false prophets would tell the people, God loves you exactly the way you are. You don't have to repent. Just keep doing whatever you want. Go worship false gods. He's fine with that. It's all the same anyway. And when Babylon showed up on the front doorstep, those false prophets who were well-fed and well-paid were taken off into slavery along with everybody else. Bad news for you when everybody speaks well of you. Because the best way to get everybody to speak well of you is to tell them exactly what they want to hear. Pastors have the hard job of leading churches where they need to go, whether they want to or not. And I am blessed at Real Life because it is a church on the move that was founded on a mission. But I have friends in the ministry who are trying to lead old churches to make necessary changes. And those pastors have hard jobs. Happy are you when people speak poorly of you because of Jesus. That's how they've always treated the people of faith. That's how this world goes. But God loves you when you're persecuted and rushes to the side of the child who is most in need. So this is Luke's message. Jesus' teachings were upside down. Jesus' teachings were a surprise too. And if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to realize the things that this world tells you to chase after are exactly wrong. Bad news for you when you're rich and well-fed and you laugh all the time and everybody speaks well of you. You've spent your whole life satisfying yourself and you've missed the fact that there's a God who loves you and wants you to stop chasing after this world and let him fill you and make you happy and bless you, and take care of you. 
If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to swim against the current. We have to seek not the things of this world, but pursue his kingdom. And if it costs us everything, he will repay us. If we have to give everything away, he will fill us as fat as the Thanksgiving turkey. But the call of Jesus is to depend wholly on God to provide for you and not use this world for selfish means to take care of yourself. The most beautiful part of this is that when we live like this, when we practice this surrender to God, we get to see what kind of personality God really has. The, the spiritual principle is at work here is that when you create a holy vacuum in your life, God rushes to fill it. When you create a holy space in your life, God rushes to fill it. That's why fasting is so important. Denying yourself for a, for a moment, for a season, to make room for prayer allows the Holy Spirit to fill that empty place in you. Keeping the Sabbath day every week a day dedicated to worship and to rest, not to work and not to entertainment. A day dedicated to worship and rest allows the Spirit to rush into that vacuum and fill it. And when you live that way, you get to see what kind of God we have. The God who loves to take care of us. For those of you who are fans of the author uh, Henry Nouwen, you may know that a book came out this last year written by Henry Nouwen, which is interesting because Henry Nouwen died in 1996. But, but Nowen, uh, published, uh, Nowen's, uh, the inheritors of his estate have published some of the writings that he did in the last few years of his life. And it's quirky because this, this priest and spiritual leader in the last few years of his life became fascinated with a group of acrobats uh, called the, uh, the Traveling Rodleys, I believe is what they were called. Rodley was the, the leader of the troop. And he loved to go watch them spin around in the air and do their little acrobatic tricks. And he actually got to know them and befriended them and interviewed them. And then in the last few years of his life, he started writing about them. And there's this one moment in an interview with the, the leader of the troop, with Rodley, uh, where he captured a spiritual reality that he saw in the world of acrobatics. Now one writes, One day I was sitting with Rodley, the leader of the troop, talking about flying. Flying is doing all the tricks on the acrobats. He said, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher, the person who catches the person who goes flying through the air, right? Let's go of the trapeze and goes flying through the air. The catcher is the one who catches them. I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might, public might think that I'm the great star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me with split-second precision and grab me out of the air. How does it work? No one asked. The secret is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I simply have to stretch out my arms and my hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely. You do nothing? No one asked. Nothing. The worst thing a flyer can do is try to catch the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's job to catch me. If I grab his wrists, I might break them or he might break mine. A flyer must fly and a catcher must catch. And the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that the catcher will be there for him. 
This is the heart of the teaching of Jesus in this life. Your job and mine is to trust with outstretched arms that God is longing to catch us. And rather than spend our lives trying to grab hold of safety, which in the end can just break our wrists, we're called to surrender to Him. And there is nothing more satisfying, nothing more happy-making than realizing that He is the God who loves to catch us. Pray with me. Jesus, I thank you that in this world, uh, though that we can be uh, robbed uh, and left weeping and left hungry, you're the God who longs to satisfy us and to take care of us. And all you want us to do is to step into a relationship with you so that we can see you're a good parent. So Jesus, for everybody listening, everybody in the Glendora campus, everybody online, If now's the time to step across that line and say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Just pray that in your heart right now. Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I surrender my attempts to provide for myself in this world. And I want to give myself wholly to you. Jesus, I'm trusting you to catch me. And if you've lived a, a happy and successful life in this world and taken care of yourself and provided for yourself, and you realize Jesus is calling you to something different, pray in your heart right now. Jesus, help me to surrender. Help me to give up my worship of wealth and achievement. And instead to live a life of generosity where my heart is not for me but my heart is for lost sheep, for sick children, for the people in the most poor conditions. Use my life to pour me out to care for those in need. Jesus, take all the striving that I've done, the successes that I've achieved, and help me to put those aside and live for your kingdom. Jesus, I thank you for the invitation into your upside-down kingdom. Where when we trust you, the world can never take, for, take from us the things that you want us to have. Put in our hearts your Holy Spirit. And give us the power to live for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church.